and here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey, folks, welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast, live streaming for the first time ever here on YouTube. Uh, this is uh, my morning outfit and the coffee. You'll be able to see coffee sips on the YouTube live that you only get to hear previously. This is going to be really non-professional, uh, especially without Scott Docterman helping me. You can listen to us on the Hawk Fanatic Hawkeye Hotspot podcast on Thursdays. Usually live stream that around 9 a.m. Central Time. It is about 9.35 a.m. Central Time right now uh, for those listening on the podcast and not on the live stream. Or if you're watching on the live stream and aren't looking at a clock, uh, that works as well. So there you go. This is kind of a... Uh, a piecemeal type podcast where I read your questions and comments off of Twitter that are sent to me using the hashtag HFmail. If you do not use the hashtag, I often do not see your questions. So it's HFmail. You can use that tag, hashtag HFmail, anytime during the week. I will go back where I left off the previous week's podcast and pick up there and answer your questions uh, that are sent my way using the hashtag again. So there you go. Um, usually kind of lead in with, um, you know, what the latest, what's, what's going on in Iowa sports now. Um, we've got kind of a collision of men's, women's basketball, wrestling, and football recruiting. Tomorrow, February the 1st, is the late signing period, the original signing period. Um, Back in the day, we used to have blowouts on Wednesdays in February when there was a big signing day. That That's when everybody signed. Uh, so kind of different now, a little anticlimactic, but Iowa will have um, uh, added a couple of uh, transfer portal guys, offensive linemen, Dejan Parker from Saginaw State in Michigan, who was committed to Virginia as a transfer portal guy until Iowa flipped him. I think it was first week of January. Uh, and then Rusty Feth, a center guard from Miami of Ohio, who Iowa offensive line coach 
George Barnett coached when he was at Miami of Ohio, officially visited this past weekend and committed. So Iowa added a couple of offensive linemen with college experience, which is nothing but a bonus uh, with the inconsistencies, inconsistencies that we saw up front last year on the offensive line. So nice additions there. So I guess they will be officially uh, added. And uh, I'm sure Parker's in class now and Feth will have to, he is a graduate transfer, Feth is, and has one year remaining and uh, we'll have to take some grad classes this semester uh, and be here for spring semester, I believe. I haven't had a chance to talk to him. He's been unreachable, at least for me. Uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to him at some point. And all of the the grad transfer or the uh, transfer portal guys for that matter, Cade McNamara, Eric All, Seth Anderson, uh, Parker, Feth. We haven't um, uh, the quarterback from Wisconsin, um, Deacon, Deacon Hill. I was going to say Deacon Jones. Remember him on the Brady Bunch? Wasn't Deacon Jones on an episode of the Brady Bunch in the in the Glee Club? I'm dating myself, and a lot of you people probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, so Iowa added five or six in the portal. Uh, but it'd be nice to eventually get a chance to talk to some of those guys about you know their reasonings, the reason for being here, and and uh, you know what they bring to the team and all the, that good stuff, and just get to know them a little bit. It's uh, always fun to. Get to know the student athletes a little closer and be able to tell you guys those stories. But uh, signing day is tomorrow. I will also got a couple of high school commitments, one from 2023 Fort, excuse me, Fort Wayne Homestead tight end Grant Leeper, uh, who has accepted a gray shirt opportunity after officially visiting Wake Forest on Thursday and Friday of last week. Excuse me. And was here at Iowa on Saturday and Sunday and then announced his commitment yesterday, did an interview uh, with Grant, and uh, he's hoping and feels there's a good opportunity that he'll be put on a full scholarship by the start of the season. Uh, If you don't know what a gray shirt is, it's basically he would be in the 24 class. I think he would be classified in the 24 class if he does stick with the gray shirt. What that means is he could come into Iowa after graduation this summer and in the fall, but he has to pay his way and he can't practice with the team. He can be here. He can use the facilities, but he has to work out on his own. It's kind of a goofy rule, but unless you're going to, you know, have an unlimited amount of scholarships above the 85, you have to have some restrictions in place. And that's what it is for a gray shirt. So then he would, he would be here in the summer and the, and the fall, and then be able to in January, go on scholarship where we are this, this time next year in January of 24. And I think he'd be recognized as part of the 2024 recruiting class. Uh, and then Josh Janowski, uh, an offensive lineman from Lincoln way, West, right? Is it West or East? I can't remember. Uh, I believe it's West uh, committed yesterday and he is in the 2024 class. Um, and that's in Frankfurt, Illinois, which is Chicago suburbs, uh, ish. Uh, is he Lincoln way? Lincoln way East. My bad. I'm sure I offended people from Lincoln way East saying it was Lincoln way West. Is there even a Lincoln way West? I assume there is. There's a North Liberty and a West Liberty, but no East Liberty in Iowa or South Liberty. So you tell me what's going on anyway. Um, actually, I don't have anybody in the chat room. Maybe this wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the best idea to open up the chat room. Ooh, I got a weird sun thing happening now. I just clicked on the Zoom to see my ugly face. Um, 
All right. Let me bring up some questions here. Uh, we also will uh, talk about some more Iowa men's basketball tonight. And I believe there are tickets remaining. It's the Chris Street game that was postponed uh, earlier this month when Northwestern was uh, uh, shut down with COVID and couldn't play, uh, had to uh, reschedule games against Iowa and Wisconsin, uh, has played Wisconsin, I think, already, and will be in at Carver-Hawkeye tonight. Uh, the original game was was a Saturday, I believe. And no, that was a night game during the week, too, at 8 o'clock, I think. But tonight's game is 8 o'clock at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. It is the Chris Street game makeup from the original game with North Northwestern. That is on the Big Ten Network Uh Mike and Patty Street will have a press conference before the game and uh, they'll have some uh, recognition, I'm sure, during the game, maybe halftime uh, for uh, the Street family on the 30th anniversary of Chris's tragic death uh, in a car accident in Iowa City. So uh, if you can get out tonight, I know eight o'clock weeknight, school night, work night. We've all been there before. We understand that. there are uh, drawbacks to going to eight o'clock games during the week and it's cold. It's really freaking cold in Iowa city. So, uh, but get out there if you can, hopefully uh, I know Mike Halas from the Gazette tweeted something out yesterday. I don't know which ticket service he was citing. Maybe it was StubHub or one of those where uh, tickets were like five bucks for tonight's game. So you can get in pretty cheap. Uh, and I would recommend doing that. I think it's going to be a really great environment uh, and a super important game. Northwestern is second place in the Big Ten right now. Iowa's at five and five and could really use another win uh, tonight before facing Illinois in a sold out game Saturday, uh, 1.30 p.m. at Carver Hawkeye Arena on Fox. That's this Saturday, Saturday, February the 4th, one day before our middle child's uh, birthday. Happy birthday, Lila. Um, against Illinois, that's Saturday at 1.30. Uh, on the women's side, women have a big game. Uh, women moved up to number six in the uh, rankings this week and will play host to number eight, Maryland, on Thursday at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. And that is a 7.30 p.m. tip, and that is on ESPN, the regular ESPN. So, Really a lot of spotlight on Iowa right now when it comes to the basketball teams, nationally televised games. So um, definitely check that out from a wrestling standpoint. Uh, tough loss at Penn State on Friday night. That was one versus two. I got an email this morning saying that was the most watched uh, wrestling uh, duel on the network uh, in the history. So huge. Uh, Iowa back on the road again this Friday, and that's up at Minnesota, and that's at 8 p.m. Uh, first match scheduled, and that's on the Big Ten Network. Uh, Iowa has uh, three duels left, only three and only two in the Big Ten. It's got uh, Friday, February the 3rd, Minnesota and Minneapolis, uh, then uh, the senior, uh, the last home duel. Actually, it's not senior day because, excuse me, Oklahoma State comes in for senior day. Uh, But Friday the 10th, Michigan comes to Iowa City. Uh, And then Sunday, February 19th is senior day against Oklahoma State 330. All of those are on the Big Ten Network. Uh, And then March 4th through 5th, the Big Ten 
Wrestling championships are in in Ann Arbor this year, and then March 16th through 18th NCAA tournament in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So these seasons are uh, it's February 1st tomorrow, kids. It's getting uh, getting along. So uh, it will. Uh, I saw somebody in the chat room. Hair Trigger 83. I'm here just listening. LOL. Thanks for listening. At least somebody's out. At least I'm not talking to myself, uh, which often happens. And my wife catches me doing as we are home. Uh, we work from home. So share an office here. Anyway, let's jump into some questions. Uh, let's go back here. Uh, January 25th. Uh, so six days ago, roughly. Uh, Drake Timbers at Drake Timbers, a regular contributor to the mailbag podcast would rusty's addition he's talking about rusty feth again transfer interior offensive lineman from miami of ohio he was a second team all max selection this past season and academic all-american as well so uh good student good athlete and uh good addition for Iowa. Uh, would Rusty's addition be enough center depth for Ellsbury, that's Tyler Ellsbury, to breach the starting lineup like the invention of time travel, which will destroy linear time and the concept of ownership, like patents and copyrights, which rely on linear time? Um, as I do with Drake's questions, I kind of just let them marinate for you guys, and you can... Do with them what you will. Um, it's a bit existential, a lot of the questions. So there you go. I will say again, though, uh, in relation to Ellsbury, he's going to have to break through wherever it may be. Um, I'm interested to see where Feth ends up because um, I I have confidence that Logan Jones is going to get better. Um I think he has that starter kit. It was just tough. He was thrown into the mix last year uh, after not having played much center uh, and being switched over from defense. Uh, you know, he had less than a year, six months or something to prepare roughly, and eh, maybe more than that. If he moved over uh bowl prep-ish time last year, and that would have been 2021 he had until August but still, it's a crash course, and uh, he took his lumps this year, but I think he's going to be much better uh, this year. That said, Feth could potentially beat him out for center and maybe bump Logan over to a guard. Logan may hold down center, and Feth comes in and plays guard along with Colby. So there you have your three interior offensive linemen, Colby on the left, Jones in the middle, Feth on the right. If I think Colby's pretty solid at that left guard. I think they'd like to see if Parker can play uh, right tackle, but then you also have Nick DeYoung that's out at right tackle. So there are a lot of pieces. Then there are younger guys. Uh, Jennings Dunker is, uh, you know, a, a kid that made progress this year as well. Um, so there's going to be some good competition on the offensive line. I think Feth and Parker, having played college football uh, before, uh, come in, obviously ahead of the true freshmen that are coming in this year, but also potentially ahead of some developing guys that are, you know, lower down on the depth chart. So I just think you need a competition at that position. Uh, you're adding some experience. Uh, you're adding, a, you know, in Feth, you're adding a guy who's played FBS football in a good conference, which is the Mac uh, and succeeded there. I mean, all conference 
Uh, we'll see if he can make that transition to power five and big 10 football. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, he's got enough years under his belt and should be physically capable of doing it. Um, Parker is an interesting uh, project as well. I think project's probably the wrong term. He's still pretty raw, I would say. Uh, so he needs some development there, but it'd be interesting to see what type of uh contributions he could make i just think you just after what we saw last year on the offensive line the inconsistencies and the lack of continuity and chemistry they really just need to find five that work well together starting in the spring injuries are going to happen and you have to deal with that but above that you know and beyond that you need to be better up front because if iowa struggles again on the offensive front Maybe you make incremental progress with Cade McNamara at quarterback. And I know I've I've seen some people say, well, even if the offensive line isn't that good, he can escape really fast defensive players, good defensive players in the Big Ten. Uh, Cade McNamara certainly is mobile and can move the pocket, although he's coming off a knee surgery. Um, and so that puts compromises him already. But, you know, you don't want to get your quarterback hit or make him run. So they've got to be better up front. And that starts with being able to consistently run the football and still set up play action. So uh, the offensive additions made um, this year uh, during the the portal season, and there's potential to add more too when we get around to the window in May 1st through 15th when more guys can go in. The guys that are in there now in the transfer portal can still come out. but nobody can go in until May 1st through 15th now. So you know what's in there now, um, and you pretty much have to be accept, accepted academically. So Iowa could add somebody out of the portal now after – I forget what the deadline is. Scott knows, and I'll ask him again on the hotspot on Thursday. But it's coming up. I think it's the end of the month, which is today. So if they're not enrolled in class yet, uh, they can't for this semester. So if you took them out of the porthole and say – you know, February 15th, for lack of a better date, they would not be able to join the team until the next semester, which is the summer semester. They could enroll then and then be part of the team. Uh, and you're then at that point, you're wondering, you know, th- there's no binding agreement there. So that can be a little bit dicey as well. All right, let's uh, let's move on here. I'm sure there are more, maybe more from Drake Timbers, maybe not. Uh, Jesse Lucier at Jesse underscore Lucier on Twitter. This is from January 26th. Uh, so five days ago, in your opinion. And as I said, you can fire off HF mail questions anytime between now and the next time I pod and I'll go back to where I left off and answer your questions. They can, most of them are Hawkeye related, but if you want to ask me about TV shows, movies, uh, food, as you can see, I'm, I'm a big proponent of food. Um, any of those questions, I'll be happy to answer. In your opinion, what is the worst viewing experience as a fan? A, NFL team going 0 and 17, B, NBA team going 20 and 62, or C, MLB team going 60 and 102. For a positive spin, which of the sports is most fun to watch when your team is good? All right, so this is a personal question just in terms of that last part. For me, I'm a you know, basketball is my favorite sport. 
Um, I love the way they dribble up and down the court, just like I'm the king of the microphone. So is Dr. J.N. Moses Malone. It's Curtis. Ode to Curtis Blow. I deserve the coffee sip. Um, so, so the Knicks being good would be, for me, the most enjoyable. Uh, and then probably the Mets and then the Jets and then the Islanders. Uh, those are my favorite teams. Not really, don't really have a favorite college football or basketball team. Uh, I enjoy seeing Iowa do well because uh, I get to know the guys. So, love to see the student athletes uh, succeed, achieve, and celebrate. So that's that. Um, so again, for me, th- while the NBA would be the most enjoyable if my team is playing well, Knicks long history of losing a lot of suffering. I always say long suffering Mets, Jets, Knicks fan Islanders won Stanley cups long, long time ago. Uh, But for me, I think the worst would be the Mets because it's such a long season. Although I'll check out, you can call me a bad fan. If you want, I'll check out if it's like June or July and the season's just off the rails, but you still hear it. You still, you know, you get updates on your phone, uh, things like that. Hey, your shitty team lost again. So <laughs> that probably would be the worst for me. Uh, Jesse Lucier again. This is from January 26th, which was five days ago. With another question. Oh, not a question. Not a question, but a thought. Since 2015. Sorry, I got a burn on my hand. Rose Bowl, Iowa. Since the 2015 Rose Bowl, Iowa has won eight plus games. I think eight or more games, right? Because eight was in 2016 and 17. So eight or more games every year, yet they haven't made it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Crazy, we're going on eight years since the last New Year's Six Bowl birth, despite all the winning. This is KF's longest drought, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, and I think part of that was winning the West in 21. So that gave you kind of the uh, experience of post-regular season, big game, nationally televised. And then, you know, beyond that, going to, you know, a pretty good game in the Citrus Bowl, still a New Year's Bowl, not a New Year's Six Bowl. But you're right. I mean, and it depends on where you're okay with that bar being. Uh, Iowa's won a lot of games. Um been competitive in the Big Ten West just about every season. Uh, come up short, has won one Big Ten West since then. So, what, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, seven years, one title. Um, so one trip to the Big Ten championship game. Uh, but competitive, had some exciting wins. Ohio State at home, Michigan's at home, 16 and 17. Uh, it really all depends on you as a fan and what uh, – you know, what, what your, uh, what's acceptable to you. Um, not that it matters, not that you can fire coaches. Um, and we have, you know, obviously, uh, the offensive coordinator, uh, is kind of in the crosshairs of most people in terms of criticism. So, you know, and that's the coach's son, obviously, as we know, so, yeah, I mean, it all depends. You could say, oh, well, we could be Nebraska, but you could also have the success that Wisconsin's had. Or Northwestern's won two Big Ten West titles since 2015, and you've won one. 
Um, so, yeah. And then after this season, the Big Ten West likely goes away. And then you're just dealing with a full, excuse me, 16-team conference where you're <clears throat> competing for the top two spots. But then the playoffs also expand in a few years. And maybe you're in that top 12 and you can get into the playoff. But as you said, Jesse, the New Year's Six is basically the equivalent, roughly, of the top 12. So, you know, if you don't get into the New Year's Six, you're not getting into the New Year's Six, you're also not getting into um, the playoff. You got to raise the bar a little bit more for that. So, We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it's good points. I mean, it's been a while since New Year's Six, and that last experience was not good, obviously, against Stanford. So uh, we'll see. It's it's an interesting time for Iowa football. Your head coach is closing in on 70, and how long does he want to coach? Uh, we'll see what happens here um, potentially with any coaching reassignment or – replacement here after signing day. I think we'll hear a little bit more on that, but uh, we'll see. Drake Timbers at Drake Timbers, and this is from January 27th, so four days ago. Will the Ivy League starting athletic scholarships along with NIL blow up the FBS like America igniting the atmosphere of a gas giant like Neptune, bombarding it with nukes until the helium flames into a planetary Hindenburg? Again, it's Drake marinate let that kind of flow around in your head a little bit i'll take a coffee sip i don't think it'll blow up the fbs i think it's nice that they're you know offering scholarships to ivy league schools those kids work hard uh you know for their sports um i'm sure as hard and maybe harder in some instances uh than they do it you know other scholarship schools, whether it be, you know, FCS, FBS, Division II, any of those levels, they all work hard. Uh, and that that's what leads to success. So, um, yeah, it's nice, especially because Ivy League education is really expensive. So it must be nice for them. As far as the uh, igniting a Neptune, that uh, I'll leave to somebody else who's into astronomy and, uh, and or science. I'm into neither. So... Uh, let us let us do a read here. Do a read and maybe take a little break um, for some sponsor. I know I had that come up. Let's see here. All right. All right, folks. Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited uh, and all of our sponsors. And you'll hear from a few right now. I will be back on the other side to finish up with your questions and comments on the HF Mailbag Podcast. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And we are back. And these questions are all from the last day or so. Uh, actually, from the last 13 hours or so. 44M Less at 44M Less, who I guess is a Regina basketball fan, uh, got a comment from him after posting a write-up I did from prephoops.com. I watched uh, Regina at West Branch on Friday. Uh, West Branch com- coming away with a win on the boys' side. The Regina girls prevailed, uh, but I digress. I noticed Scott B. brought this up, and I was wondering your thoughts on this as well. If Spencer Lee wins his fourth NCAA title, would you put him on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest Iowa student-athletes? What other past or present athletes would you consider? All right, so we're just talking student-athletes and not coaches. Um uh, let's see here. I think Ni- I think you start with Niall Kinnick. He won a Heisman. You know, that uh, speaks for itself. And then obviously uh, his off-field uh, contributions also very impressive. So I think you start there. And I'm doing this on the fly. I have not read this question before, which is those people that uh, are used to the mailbag uh, understand that I usually fly by the seat of my pants for this podcast and don't do a whole lot of research. As I said, it's not a very professional podcast, but it's one that I hope uh, you enjoy because uh, it deals with Hawkeye sports. Uh, I, I have to think Spencer Lee would be up there. Uh, I try to think from a women's basketball standpoint, I think you got to start to think about Caitlin, Caitlin Clark being on that. Um, I think Luca is somebody, uh, who you consider for that from a national, you know, from a national player of the year, that just doesn't happen. Uh, so let's go with that. Niall Kinnick, but is Luca in over Ronnie Lester? I think that would be an argument for some people as well. Um, cause you're comparing errors to ERAS and, uh, you know, that makes it a little bit more difficult when you're comparing like, you know, 60s 70s 80s to now uh the game is so much different so yeah i would say that um niall kinnick is the start and then you know i think it's pretty open after that i think you can have a collection of guys those are people that would spencer lee if he wins his fourth um luca ronnie lester football wise uh chuck long I think has got to be up in that conversation. Um, Ronnie Harmon, I know that one make people that one makes people cringe. 
a little bit, but uh, I think Brad Banks is in the conversation. Uh, and I will say, full disclosure, um, I moved here in 1997 from the East Coast to cover Iowa sports. So that's more of my exposure to Hawkeye athletics. I've obviously followed Hawkeye athletics before moving here, but covering the team is a little bit different. And it's been whatever, 26 ish years of doing it. So I have a better handle on guys that I've watched play. Uh, but then I also have uh, absorbed uh, many opinions who I respect uh, about, you know, the history of Hawkeye athletics Al Grady being a, a great one before he passed away, uh, a great resource, as was Bob Brooks, uh, in terms of getting to know the history of Iowa athletics. Um, Ron Gonder as well. And, um, you know, a lot of guys that have been around here a long time and have a good perspective on Hawkeye athletics. But for me, you know, to keep this podcast from dragging any more than it already is, I would probably say, um, and I have probably recency bias, but I would put uh, eh, Megan Gustafson is is in that conversation too. I think it'd be pretty hard. I'd have to think more about it. I think less, and uh, maybe I'll do that. I'll try to come up with one. I know Pat Hardy wrote a column about this, and these questions come up every now and then periodically um, when. Um, there are, you know, generational type athletes like Caitlin Clark and Spencer Lee, you know, Keegan and Chris Murray, Luca, uh, you know, go down the list. When there are exceptional athletes, uh, we start to talk about, well, who's the best? And that's the Mount Rushmore's usually come into uh, come into the conversation. Who are the four best across all sports? I think you start with Niall Kinnick. Uh, and then the con- the conversation gets interesting after that. Spencer still has to win his fourth. Uh, I like his chances based on what we've seen this year, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that, and uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do something on that coming up uh, in February. Another one for four, from forty four M less at forty four M less on Twitter. In your opinion, in your opinion, has Big Ten officiating been more inconsistent this year than compared to years past? Believe me, I'm not one of those homers that blame the refs for a loss, and it's a tough job. However, it seems to be a lot of questionable calls so far this season. Yeah, it's not been great for across all sports. Uh, We saw it in football the other day at the end of the Chiefs-Bengals games. Um, Yeah, a lot of... uh, a lot of questioning of the officials. I have not noticed it being any worse than this year in past years, but I will admit I don't focus a lot on the officiating. Um, uh, I know that's maybe a cop-out, but that's just, you know, I think that that stuff has a way of evening itself out over a course of a game and a season. But I do also understand that a call here or there can change the outcome of contests, of games, of matches, things like that. So I certainly can understand the focus on it. I did see uh, the referee, I forget his first name. Is it John Higgins? I think it was ESPN who put up um, his travel schedule based on which games he's done recently, and it was absurd. I mean, he was – he refereed a game out on the West Coast – 
I think Friday or Saturday night, probably Saturday night, and then was at the in the Midwest. It was a night game on the West Coast. Like so it would have started whatever, eight or nine o'clock central time. He did that game, then flew to the Midwest and did a morning or afternoon game here in the Midwest the next day. And he's had like a schedule like that where he's just going day to day officiating games. I don't think that's good for anybody um, just from the nature of being tired and exhausted and being able to do your job. So that's something I think that can be looked at and addressed. Um, But in terms of these guys are the best at what they do and they make mistakes. And it always seems like those mistakes are aimed at, you know, just taking it out on your team. Um, and I think that's what gets under people's skin that they feel like the officials are out for their team, but everybody feels that way. Right. So it, it, it uh, again, I think it averages itself out over time and um, yeah, maybe do a better job of training officials and having more officials so they don't have to work as much. Um, and then, you know, pay them more <laughs> so they don't have to work regular jobs. And if you're a college basketball official, uh, it's not a full-time job. They have other professions, most of them. So they uh, they are being pulled in, in various directions uh, for their, in their lives. And that certainly can impact their job performance as it relates to refereeing. Uh, e at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014 asks, is there anything that Chris Murray can do to become an NBA lottery pick? What is a lottery pick? What now is that through 13? Uh, let me Google it because I don't know. NBA lottery picks. Uh, how many? How many are in the lottery? 10. All right. Uh, so top 10, according to what I looked up here anyway, that's going to be tough. Um, there's there's some like generational type talent at the top of this thing uh, with the kid from France and another kid that's in the G League that are, you know, pretty much locks to be the top two picks. So, you know, you're talking eight spots after that. Chris is a little older. He'll get dinged for that. Um, but he's going to have to work out well. Um, I'm not sure there's anything he can do during the season. Uh, I'm pretty sure people know what he can do at this point. It's going to be when he has like workouts with teams, combine, things like that, uh, where he can maybe impress people a little bit more and bump himself up. But um, I think he's shown enough this year that he's a first round pick and to get into that top 10, probably going to have to take his game to another level during this season. Um, and I was going to have to do well, and then he's going to have to continue that in postseason workouts. But to be honest with you, I don't know, um, you know, the other players that are going to be available in the draft, but right now I'm seeing Chris projected like, you know, mid teens. So I don't think it's outlandish to think that he can work his way up um consistency a little bit more consistency chris has a tendency to take some shots that make you scratch your head a little bit um 
And maybe he feels like he needs to do that on this team. Uh, you know, especially when Patrick was out because of uh, needing the offense. And he thinks he can make everything, which is a good trait to have. But I think uh, just some more consistency from Chris um, on both ends of the floor. I think that's probably what he can do. But at this point, going into February, most teams know who he is and what he is. And uh, I don't think he's going to have anything to worry about in terms of being a first-round pick. So getting up into the lottery, I think he has a chance. But uh, if he doesn't, he'll be fine. Clint Harms at Until Game on Twitter. We are in an error with so many transfers and early entries to the pros. With that said, wouldn't college athletics be better off letting players play a full five years? We've got a sample of it through COVID, and in my opinion, it's helped upgrade the product. It's a good point, Clint, and I agree. Uh, I don't see what the downside, other than you have to pay an extra scholarship year. Um, so if a kid redshirted, uh, you would have to pay for six years scholarship, but you're going to have to, I mean, there's a scholarship limit, so you're paying that anyway. I just, I wonder how that would affect just the flow of high school to college and, you know, what the drawbacks would be there in terms of availability and available scholarships for kids coming out of high school. And that could also help because if you're, if, you know, we'll use the Iowa example, it, it has 85 scholarships uh, and uses them on, you know, let's say offensive line. You've got Rusty Feth and Dejon Parker coming in as transfer portal guys. So that takes up two scholarships you would have given to offensive linemen in high school. But now those offensive linemen, if they don't end up at Iowa or another Power 5 school, maybe they go to uh, a group of, you know, a, a mid-major school or an FCS school and excel there and develop, and then they end up in the transfer portal, and then you pull them out. So it can work that way, too, uh, for guys that may not get the opportunity out of high school but can go to a smaller-level college, build a resume, then go into the portal and end up at Iowa like Rusty Feth and Dejan Parker have done. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be good. I think it does help the product when you have experienced guys you look at you know, just in watching, you know, Iowa State basketball last night with Gabe Kalsher and, you know, some of the older guys that are in college basketball, I certainly think it helps. You know, Connor McCaffrey is another example of guys that have been around for a while. I do think it helps the product rather than, you know, stocking up teams with guys that are one and done, two and done. Uh, and there's a constant turnover. If you have some stability with maybe some of your role players or core guys, that helps you, you know, um, helps the maturity of your of your team each year. So, yeah, this is a good idea, Clint, and one that uh, I would be certainly be on board with. Um, be interesting to see if that happens that way. Certainly, it's being discussed, and uh, it'd be interesting if they change the eligibility rules. Coffee set time. Apirogon on Twitter at underscore a Pyragon. I thought about whether or not to read this one. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I will read it uh, because it was sent to me and somebody took the time to do that. There are more important consequences of Iowa GOP extremism. That's this guy's term, not mine, 
but I wonder about potential impacts on recruiting when a state threatens to ban abortion, enacts don't say gay trans laws, etc. Have you ever heard feedback from recruits about political situation in Iowa? And that's the part I will address. I have not. And um, it's not something I would bring up. I don't think that's fair to a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid who's trying to find his college to ask him about political topics. Um, not something I would ever do. And I would be surprised if I heard that from a recruit, honestly. Um, it's not something that uh it's not something that I think is on their minds. Uh they're trying to find a school where they can fit in, have an edu- get an education, play a sport. Um let the grown-ups deal with the politics. Um they'll have plenty of times in their life to deal with that and talk about that, you know, and, and get involved in that. But no, I don't hear anything about politics um, from recruits and I don't consider racism politics. It shouldn't be politics, Uh, human rights, things like that. Those shouldn't be political. So, I mean, in 2020, I did hear from, from recruits about, you know, the racial bias at Iowa, um, and I still hear things like that on the recruiting trail. Uh, but in terms of like policies and politics, I don't hear that. So appreciate the question. Uh, and we will move on. Uh, let's see here. I'll go back to the chat room in a minute. Let me, uh, got one more here from Jesse Lucier at Jesse underscore Lucier on Twitter. If, Iowa plans to move on from BF options and coaching world are becoming limited this time of year. However, Josh Gaddis just got fired. Do you think he can be potential replacement or is Iowa's lack of urgency assigned? They're hiring from within assuming BF is gone. Uh, I'll address that last part. I'm not assuming he's gone. Um, I know you're saying these questions are pertinent if he is gone. Um, I think odds are he's back to be honest with you. Um, the only way is if he decides to go and that's to the NFL, he's not going to be fired. He, that would have happened already. Right. So um, reassigned uh, given different responsibilities. I think the, the, the common belief here and kind of what the speculation centers around is the John By- Budmeyer edition last year as a consultant, I guess you would call him or, He's an assistant coach. I don't care what the term is. He was helping with quarterback coaching and coaching of offense last year. So does another coach move on from the staff, opening up a full-time spot for him where he and Brian can collaborate on the offense? To me, that's the most likely scenario. If that's going to sell for you guys, that's up to you. I don't know, and I don't know what that'll be. If Brian is run game coordinator, Bud Myers, pass game coordinator. They work together to put an offense together along with working under the umbrella of Kirk Ferentz's philosophy. To me, that's a lot of cooks and it makes it a lot harder to work together, but who knows? Um, I, I like what I've seen from Josh Gaddis when he was at Michigan. That was kind of a, they ran Big Ten football with some variation and some, you know, some modern, um, philosophy, modern approach to that offense. I think he could work within what Iowa does, uh, but I'm not sure that that happens. 
This is just me speculating without knowing. I think it's Brian Ferentz and John Budmeyer collaboration for Iowa's offense next year. Don't hold me to that, but I think that's where we're at right now. Certainly that can change after tomorrow. I think uh, I think we'll know more going forward this month, this month being February, but um, we'll see. I don't know. Um, I don't have like a strong feeling that Brian is headed out, but maybe. I don't know why he'd want to put himself through that other than he makes almost a million dollars a year. Uh, which would I'd put up with a lot for that. So potentially he could uh he could move on to the NFL. I mean Bill O'Brien being Bill O'Brien being hired as the Patriots offense coordinator, I think is a potential landing spot. If Brian wanted to do that, he would have to take a pay cut, obviously, and be a position coach, not a coordinator, but maybe that would be more enjoyable to him. But you have to understand that he would also be moving his family halfway across the country away from his parents. He has kids. Um, you know, that's a consideration as well. So we'll see. Um, I'm not sure what will happen there. Nobody's really sure. Um, but that if I was betting right now, if I was putting money on it, that would be it, that there's some type of collab at offensive coordinator. So check the chat room here. That didn't take off like I had hoped. I thought maybe you guys would hop in there and ask me some questions, but it did not, did not happen. Uh, as I said, hair trigger 83 said, he's just here listening. And I appreciate that. We have eight people watching, uh, the stream that started 46 minutes ago. Maybe we'll try this again next week. And, uh, maybe after some repetition here, it'll take off a little bit, but Jesse Lucier is also in the chat room. Well, the SEC recruits at the best and half their team wasn't allowed 50 years ago. So probably not. Uh, 60 years ago. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to say you don't have a point there, Jesse, but uh, I think that is it for this edition of the mailbag podcast. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, maybe you guys can jump in the chat next week, uh, throw some questions my way. I don't know if that's going to be um, uh, a regular occurrence here. We'll see how it goes. I was kind of a trial trial run today to see if uh, the chat room was uh, another avenue for you guys to get at me, but uh uh, Hair Trigger says, I expected Brian would be around, never got my hopes up. Yeah, I, I don't really, I wasn't getting my hopes up either way. I just want Iowa to be better on offense, whatever that combination is. And I know there are restrictions there based on uh, the head coach and working under his umbrella, as I said, in his philosophy. So we'll see, guys. We got some time here before the season. Hope for the best. Don't expect the worst is what I would recommend. So. That's going to do it for the, the Mailbag Podcast. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thanks for the folks that did make it to the uh, YouTube live stream. Uh, maybe we'll push that a little bit more next week, and they'll have a better chance of that working and uh, you getting a little bit more involved that way. But I appreciate everybody's questions on Twitter. Thank you to our sponsors, and we will talk to you a week from today. It will be February, and uh, we'll get after it. Peace.